Hello, and welcome to A Well-Read Life. This is a place to share stories about good books and the reading life. I'm your host, Beth Jamison. Join me as I meander through my reading journey and discover the books that make up A Well-Read Life. As a child, I was plagued by irrational fears. My overactive imagination could transform the ordinary into a playground for the supernatural. The ocean blue comforter at the foot of my bed? Yes, absolutely, it was possible for Jaws to live there. The window beside my bed? Well, it would one day be a portal for a banshee to come through and steal me away in the night. The hint of a ghost story at a slumber party would set my imagination to flight, and I was sure to be haunted by nightmares for weeks. It didn't help that I was curious by nature, and I secretly wanted to hear the stories, even though they terrified me. But no fear in childhood matched the crippling one I had of Dracula and vampires in general. He haunted my dreams and truly made me afraid of the dark. And now, here's the story. Dracula, the classic vampire story, was written by Bram Stoker in 1897. It is an early horror story, an adventure story, and a mystery. Told through diary entries, letters, telegrams, and newspaper articles, it's the story of a group of friends who unite to defeat Count Dracula. It is most of all a classic tale of good versus evil, but told in a way that never feels stale. Bram Stoker does not disappoint and gives the reader a page-turning experience. You'll find yourself reading this book well into the night, and maybe just a little afraid of the dark. My parents had been a part of the early charismatic movement in the 1970s. I can't speak for what it is like now, but in those early years, there was a heavy emphasis on the power we as Christians had over the devil and his demons. And somehow, in my immature mind, the emphasis became skewed, and I was aware of evil's power and influence around every corner. I had a natural inclination to seek safety, But because of my misunderstanding, I was left wondering where it could be found. If we prayed against evil spirits that were supposedly in our churches and homes, where were we safe? Now, please understand that this is not to be disparaging of the church I grew up in, and certainly not my parents. I am so thankful for my childhood. It's only that I didn't understand, and it seemed to me, in my immature faith, that evil was stronger than the good. As a result... I shunned horror stories and movies because they seemed to confirm this theory. So imagine for a minute the impression that the character of Dracula makes on a child. The real character and not a hokey version of it. A tall, menacing creature of the night. One of the undead. Aristocratic. Sinister. He is able to move through walls and to change his form. Dracula bites the necks of his victims and drains them of their lifeblood and he lives in a shroud of darkness. He is the epitome of evil. Even hearing the name in passing would send chills down my spine in childhood. You see, I was convinced that Dracula was real, and if I was caught unaware, he would creep into my bedroom at night and make me one of his undead. I slept very poorly as a result of this. If I woke up in the middle of the night, it would be in a panic my heart pounding, froze into my bed, convinced if I turned my head to the window, I would see Dracula standing there. This fear kept me from explaining to my mom why I was making bedtime so difficult. I was afraid that if I told my mom about Dracula, 
my words would somehow conjure him up. The power of words was not lost on me, even as a child. So, of course, as I got older, with the fear still lingering in the corners of my mind, I was pretty determined never to read the book. Do you ever find that sometimes you're so familiar with the character of a book, perhaps because it has become so much a part of our cultural consciousness, that you overlook the story? I certainly had done this with Dracula. I thought I knew what to expect from the book. If I had allowed my familiarity with the character of Dracula to influence me, I never would have read it. Technically, I didn't choose to read Dracula. It was an assigned reading for a class when I was still an English major. But even though I didn't choose to read it at first, I'm grateful that I did. Because this book, in spite of its horror, helped to speak a world of truth to me. Now, I wasn't exactly grateful when I first read the book. It's taken a couple more readings for my view of the story to be shaped. But it has been well worth it. When I first read Dracula, I was living in a beautiful turn-of-the-century home, virtually alone because my roommate was off and out of town. And although I loved the house... It wasn't the best setting to be reading the book if you, like me, struggled with a lifelong fear of the supernatural. The book is filled with strange and dramatic scenes, vampire brides feeding off babies and children, mysterious trips to graveyards at night, ravings by a madman, decapitations, superstitions, a horrific baptism by blood, and so many bouquets of wild garlic flowers. But as I begrudgingly made my way through it, I began to notice how the book differed from what I had imagined. As I read further, setting apart character from caricature, the evil of Dracula became real. As a child, I had only feared the harm he could do to me. But I had never considered his other victims, or the way he forces himself on the innocent. His dogged determination to corrupt for his own gain, how he sought his victims out as prey and then made them like him, disgusted me. When Bram Stoker described how seductive he was, although physically repulsive, it made my flesh crawl. And as I read about his vileness, I began to see Dracula as the most dangerous type of evil. He is a type of antichrist, I thought. I was well aware of hearing about the antichrist as a child, the one who would herald in the end times, but I hadn't quite grasped the idea that there were other, smaller types of antichrist. Although a fictional character... Dracula perverts the work of Jesus Christ. His followers must feed off of his body and drink and be baptized with his blood to become like him. He even has a type of John the Baptist in the tortured soul of Renfield. It is a twisted, horrific view of salvation. Renfield is in a mental institution, a madman raving about his master and feeding off animals for their blood. And although he prepares the way for Dracula into Dr. Seward's home, Dracula does nothing to help his suffering, and instead he exploits it. It was such a contrast to me of Christ, who returns people to their right mind, restoring their humanity, and making them whole. Dracula mocks the work of healing and wholeness, and acts for his own gain. Confronted with this defiance, again, I place the emphasis on the power and presence of evil, much as I had done when I was a child. And if I had never read it again after my class, I would have missed the heart of the story. After my class ended, I went so far as to give my younger brother my copy. Ultimately, I decided the book wasn't for me. It wasn't that I was still fearful, but I was circling back to my old thoughts. In the face of such a cold, 
calculating evil. Where were we safe? I didn't need another reminder of the power of evil in the world. I wanted those childhood thoughts and fears locked safely away. I think Dracula would have been permanently put to rest in my life if I hadn't come across a podcast that convinced me that I needed to give the book another chance. It was early October, five years into marriage, and I was working as a seamstress at a local company. I was bored at work. And to alleviate the misery, I had the daily habit of consuming copious amounts of podcasts and audiobooks, a way to redeem the time from monotony. That October morning, one of my favorite podcasts was discussing Dracula. After the final words were spoken, I was surprised to find myself immediately searching for an audio version so I could listen to it while I worked. But with a more holistic and balanced view this time, paying more attention to the characters and the story. And so I reread or listened, whichever you prefer, to Dracula. The curiosity that was awakened from listening to the podcast won out, and I decided to give Dracula a second chance. The discussion of the two hosts was so thoughtful, mining the depths of a story that could easily be relegated to caricature, losing all significance because of familiarity. After a few years of distance, it was refreshing to read it with a new perspective. To my surprise, I realized that I had missed so much on my first reading. I had allowed my bias against horror stories, or perhaps my fear of Dracula, or arrogance that I knew the story, to influence my reading. I finished reading Dracula for the third time a few days ago, and there is still more that I am discovering about the book. Isn't it nice when a book continues to surprise you? I'm noticing things I've missed before. I see the structure of the plot better. I mention this only because it is interesting how Bram Stoker lets it unfold like a mystery, allowing the reader to piece together Dracula's plan through the various letters and newspaper articles. I could also see Dracula's machinations more clearly on this reading. He is not a mindless villain who brings about destruction haphazardly. Dracula has a very clear, well-thought-out, and precise plan for his invasion of England. From the moment Jonathan Harker first arrives at Castle Dracula, Dracula begins to set all the wheels for his invasion in motion. It wasn't comfortable for me to see this. The methodical calculations of an evil presence, I would have preferred for Dracula to not have been so cunning, to have been a little bit of a fool. I didn't like seeing evil as ordered. I have a tendency to equate it with chaos, and there's no chaos in Dracula's methods. It would have been comforting to have evil in a more emasculated role. Would the story have been as good if so? Definitely not. Would I have seen a deeper truth if it had? No, because I needed to see the power of evil played out in this book to combat many of my old superstitious fears of childhood. I want to go back to something I said earlier, how Dracula the book spoke truth to me. It's the reminder that evil doesn't triumph in the end. Simple, but I need to hear this to combat the taxing moments and the fears of life. Dracula is defeated. And here's the beautiful part to me. In the midst of a page-turner horror thriller, there's the reminder that the Eucharist and crucifixes, symbols of the body and sacrifice of Christ, keep Dracula at bay, powerless to act. And through a group of friends banded together, Dracula is ultimately destroyed. Dr. Van Helsing, a medical doctor, who as it turns out also hunts vampires, 
Jonathan and Mina Harker, a young married couple who suffered the most at Dracula's hands. Dr. Seward, a doctor at a mental institution, Quincy Morris, an adventurous Texan, and the Honorable Arthur Holmwood, who had been engaged to the tragic victim, Lucy Westernroth, they all come together to fight Dracula. I have come to love this misfit group of friends on my third reading. Van Helsing, with all his stilted dialogue, is a kind and fatherly figure. Jonathan and Mina Harker have a loving, strong marriage and have a mutual respect for each other. Quincy, Arthur, and Dr. Seward are loyal and true friends. I find myself missing them now that it's over. The group of friends individually cannot fight Dracula. They are not strong enough alone. But together, with their various gifts, talents, and strengths, they stand against him. Dracula has power. He brings destruction and doom. But here was something I was missing. The friends are never guaranteed safety, and they know this. They take on the charge and task to destroy Dracula. The friends know that Dracula can bring harm and destruction to them, but they face him and fight. He is a formidable foe, and his defeat does not come without a price. There is no promise that all of them will survive when they decide to battle Dracula. But ultimately, as one body, they will be victorious. It is a celebration of friendship as well as a picture of the church operating as the body of Christ. There is a cost to the fight, but evil is not triumphant in the end. When I first read the book, I focused on the horror of the story, but I missed how good, using the power of Christ, fought evil and won. My reading of Dracula had been incomplete without it. Our childhood fears have a way of haunting us in memory long after we outgrow them. I have fought a 30-plus year battle to overcome and forget my fear of Dracula. It's silly but true. It took careful reading and a setting aside of bias against horror stories. For the record, it is probably one of the only ones I will ever read. But as strange as it may sound, I'm glad a small amount of the fear still lingered. Because when I needed a reminder of evil being defeated, not only with good, but with the very body and blood of Christ, it was there. Strangely, I found it in a horror story. As I write this, it is as if many of my old fears are slipping away, being laid to rest after a long battle. It has been a reminder that the upside-down world of chaos, evil, and horror never truly win. Although Dracula left wounds and scars and destruction in his wake, he wasn't victorious. What a sobering and comforting thought. For this alone, I will read it over and over. I have a copy again. It sits with the other books on our shelf. My husband, hearing my enthusiasm over it as I talked about my new understanding of the book to anyone who would listen, found a copy at a used book sale. He brought it to me with a stack of books as we got in line to make our purchases. How could I not buy it? And so my old nemesis, too, has a permanent place on our bookshelf, free at any time for me to pick it up and read with none of the old, lingering fear of childhood. Read this book if you are only familiar with the character of Dracula. It isn't without its flaws, but in spite of this, the book is well worth reading, and it is worth the time investing in it. 
Read this book to be reminded that evil exists in this world, and it seeks to destroy. But read it knowing that this isn't how the story ends. To my husband, who indulges me when I can't stop talking about the latest book I've read and loved, I'm sorry for all the one-sided dinner conversations. <laughs>